Well, let me begin by saying good morning again to all of you. I want to welcome you to worship and welcome those of you who are joining us by video right now. Happy New Year to all of you. It's the beginning of a new year, right? I know a lot of us maybe have some new resolutions in our lives. Some of you may be here at worship, part of a church community, because part of your new year is growing in your relationship with God, and to celebrate that with you also. And whether we're in this room together or connected by video, I'm really glad that we're all together because we're learning about something important together. We're starting a new learning series, a new learning journey together. It's kind of a complicated one. It's about our relationships. It's about how God works in our relationships. Together as a community of people, we are all over the map. We're in different relationship places. Some of us are single people. Some of us are married people. Some of us are divorced. Some of us are remarried, widowed. You might have kids. You might not have kids. It's complicated all around. And we're going to be learning in this series about how the power of God, how the good news and the work of Jesus in our lives transforms our hearts and, and our relationships. And I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to this for a while now, and I have high hopes for this series. I think the stakes are high. We all have a lot invested in this, and I'll do not, I do not have high hopes for this series because I'm some sort of relationship guru. If that's what you came for, there's other churches around. <laughs> I hope you won't be disappointed. I have high hopes for this series because I truly believe in the power of Jesus and I believe in the power of his teaching and the power of his message, that it can transform our hearts, it can transform our lives, and it can transform our relationships. And I hope that by the time these four weeks are over that it will literally have been a life-changing experience, at least in some small way, for all of us. As we talk about our relationships today, I feel like I should begin with my cards on the table. I'm a married guy. I'm married. This is my wonderful family right there. That's my wife, Amy. That's my kids, Evangeline and William. They are all delighted that you're staring at their picture right now. <laughs> my kids are 12 years old and 10 years old, 7th and 4th grade. My wife and I were married in the year 2000 right here in our sanctuary at First Lutheran. Look at that wedding picture. Isn't that great? Yeah. My beautiful wife, Amy, who hasn't changed a bit, and the, and the small boy that she was marrying back then. We were married in the year 2000. That means we've been working on this marriage thing for 16 years. And for just like many couples, some of our greatest joys, probably our greatest joys in life, have come in the context of our relationship. And like every married couple I know, so have our greatest challenges, right? I hope that doesn't surprise you. That shouldn't surprise anybody. We, we are two imperfect people, especially me. <laughs> yeah. I got married when I was 25 years old. I was 25 years old. Uh, so you can do the math. I'm 41 now. I was married when I was 25 years old. That, and that is younger, by the way, than the average age of marriage for both women and men in America, which means I have less experience being single than most people do, right? Now, I feel like you should know that about me. That's only honest. Now, in preparation for this series, one of the things I've been so grateful for that has, honest to goodness, shaped my life already, and I hope it will continue to, is I've, for years, been able to have some conversations with my single friends who have different life experience than I do, but in a more intense way, in a more focused way in preparation for this series. And I'm so grateful for them, so grateful to them for sharing a number of life experiences and perspectives with me that has enriched my understanding, my practice of community, and I hope that the way they've influenced me will also enrich your life, whether you're a single person or a married person, as we go through this series together. Here's how it's going to work. For the next four weeks, for today and for three weeks following, each week, we are going to unmask one cultural lie at a time. One lie that I think that many of us have come to believe, well, four lies, but one each week that I think we've come to believe that's really impoverishing most of our lives, that's, that's holding us back, that I've seen be dangerous in either my own relationship or in the relationships of my friends, and we're going to try to replace those with the truth of Jesus instead. And I hope that will set us free and change our relationships. 
Here's the first one we're focusing on today. Complicated lie number one, the big lie is whether you are married or single, you are in this alone. You are in this alone. Let me illustrate a little bit of what I mean by this. I saw how this impacted marriages when I was growing up. When I was a kid, elementary school, middle school, high school, I saw some of my friends' parents' marriages breaking up in ways that showed me that they believed this lie. I remember one family in particular, people we were really close to growing up. The kids in that family were close friends with my sister and with me. Our families were friends. The parents were friends. We did all kinds of things together. We played sports together. We had dinner in each other's houses. Some of, I have these great memories of going over to their house and eating dinner together and staying up way later than we were allowed to stay up on any other night. And we'd play games together. And these were, I mean, high times. These were great times. And they would eat at our house. We went on trips together, family vacations, camping trips together. I mean, these, we were close friends. When I graduated from high school, my parents threw me a big graduation party. I think they weren't sure I was going to make it, actually. And so they threw a party, <laughs> and we finally got there. We got, they threw this graduation party, right? And of course, they invited this family. These were very good friends of ours. And on the day of the party, I mean, I'm a 17-year-old kid at the time. I'm oblivious to RSCPs and invitations. I had no idea. But this family had not RSCPed. On the day of the party, the wife in that family calls up, my, calls up my house, and my mom answered the phone. And I wasn't privy to the conversation, but I know it turns out that what the wife in that family was saying to my mom was, hey, we're not going to be able to make it. Um, you know, the truth is that Jim and I are getting a divorce. And I mean, I'm sure that you saw this coming. You probably saw this for a long time already, but it's finally happening, and it's just too awkward for us to be able to come. And so I'm sorry I won't be able to be there that day. And my mom, I don't know exactly what she said. I'm sure it was something polite and discreet, and she got off the phone, and she probably had a thousand party preparations left to carry on. But later, sometime later, I know that what she was thinking on the inside, because I talked to her about it later, was, no, no, we didn't see this coming. No, it's not obvious. No, we haven't seen it all along. Why is this happening? And as I tell that story, I know <laughs> some of you have been there in that situation, and some of you maybe are there right now. Maybe you're that couple, and it's been hard to let anybody in on that. It's too uncomfortable to talk about it. It's too painful. It's awkward to tell anybody. Some of you are the people who are on the other side of that, that you've, you're getting the phone call or you're going to. Next week, there's one coming out of the blue. Next month, next year. And you're going to ask yourself the same questions that my parents were asking themselves, which was, why didn't I see this coming? Was I supposed to have noticed something? What could I have done? Could I have helped? Were we not really as close of friends as I thought we were? We are learning, as, even as married people who you would think would not be alone, we're learning to isolate our marriages and live alone. In my adult life, I've seen this happening in my single friends also. Some of my single friends have grown up and gotten married. Some of them have grown up and decided that marriage is not for them. Some of them have grown up over the years and wished that they were married. And it just, for one reason or another, hasn't worked out for them. And especially in their cases, what's happened is they've watched their friends get married and move away, and move, if not move away physically, move away relationally in their friendships, and leave my single friends alone, walk right out of their lives. One of my single friends years ago put it to me this way. They said, the difference between your life and mine is that I have no permanent people. There are no permanent people in my life. Everybody in my life is temporary. They can walk out anytime they want, and eventually they all do. That's a tough way to feel. That's a tough way to feel. And we're probably not supposed to feel that way. I don't think God intends for it to feel like that, but it is the reality. It is what happens. Because when we believe this lie, it's not just an idea. And it doesn't only shape our lives as individuals. Our individual lives never affect only us. They become part of a network and a community. And together as a society or as a culture or as a community, 
Believing this lie has had consequences for the way that we live, and those consequences are not positive. We can believe it in lots of different ways. We can live it in lots of different ways, and it's hurting us. Now, thankfully for us, there is a better way to live. There is a deeper truth that is not only an idea, but also has consequences for the way that we live. And as we turn to the scriptures today, as we learn from the Bible, we're going to learn a different vision for how we can live together and we can receive this and begin to live differently in our relationships, whether we're married people or single people. Now, when most of you think about what the Bible says about relationships, I think our minds often, first of all, go right away to what it says about Christian marriage or about being married. And that's important. Marriage is important. Marriage is critically important. If you are a married person, I don't need to tell you this, your marriage is critically important to your life, right? If you are a single person, the marriages in your community are also critically important to your life, critically important to the health of the community that you're a part of. All kinds of social research shows us that strong and healthy marriages in any community are indicators, are predictors, are forces for all kinds of positive social outcomes, more than we'd ever have time to talk about right now. I'll give you just one example. Let me illustrate this for a second. Here in the state of Minnesota, sadly, we have the worst educational racial achievement gap in the nation. Okay, maybe you've heard this before. What this means is that children of color underperform their white peers by a larger gap than anywhere else in the country. That's embarrassing, right? This is a bad thing. We should fix this. Do you know what's even worse than that? The bigger gap is between children whose parents have a strong, stable marriage, whose, children, whose parents are married, and those who are not is even bigger. The impact of healthy marriages on our community is huge. It's critical. This is what Jesus said about this without the benefit of any social research. Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said to people who were asking him, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The Creator did that. God did that. Jesus says marriage is this God-given, sacred relationship. It's critically important. But we've misunderstood some things about marriage. One of the things I think we've misunderstood is that marriage was never meant to stand alone. A lot of us are living in our marriages as if our marriages were two-legged stools, right? Kind of like this. You ever try to sit on a two-legged stool? Not a good idea, right? I'm, I'm going to risk this. I'm going to come over here. You could do this. Oh, yeah, thank you for grimacing. I appreciate that. All right. So, all right, you could do this. I'm not falling yet, but I know things about the stools and tables at this church, and it could go at any moment, all right? right? So... It's a little wobbly, right? It's going to be okay sometimes, but there are sometimes it's not going to be okay, right? So I'm talking married people right now. Married people, listen. If this is you, you need more legs, okay? You need more legs in your life. You need single people in your life. You need married people in your life. You need other people in your life. They're going to make you stronger. They're going to make you more stable. They're going to make the good times better. It didn't fall yet, but it was kind of scary. It's going to make the good times better, and it will help you in those times when you're wobbly and you're shaky and something could come along sideways, you need more legs. And, and, this is not just for you, okay? Because the other legs need your legs, okay? So even if you're like, nah, I'm fine, I don't need that, somebody else does. We are meant to be a community of all kinds of legs holding each other. And not just three or four, honestly, but this big, stable thing that could hold all kinds of weight that, that nobody could ever knock over, right? And I know that, that this is, feels a little safer. This is a little bit easier to just be on two legs at a time. It's too uncomfortable. It's too painful, right? But what's going to happen someday is you're going to call your friends at the time of their kid's graduation party, and you're going to say, you probably saw this coming all along, right? right? We want to be on multiple legs at a time. You're not made to be alone. Marriages weren't meant to be alone. We are not meant to be alone, married or single. That's a lie. Let me tell you a couple ways that Jesus taught about this. One of them is this real interesting scene where Jesus said something that would be as shocking today, almost, 
as it was then, if we could listen to it with fresh ears. This is what Jesus was teaching one time, and uh, his mother and brothers showed up to talk to him. This is what happened. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, he was teaching a bunch of people, right? His mother and brothers stood, stood outside wanting to speak with him. You thought they'd have like a VIP card, they get to the front of the line, but they're like stuck on the outside, and they had to send one of the bouncers in. Someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to talk with you, want to speak with you. And Jesus, I don't really believe he's trying to disrespect his family here, but he sees a teachable moment. He's going to teach the people, the crowd. He replied to him, well, who are my mother? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? This is not because he has amnesia. He doesn't not know. He's teaching something. Pointing to his disciples, students, followers, apprentices, he said, look around. Look at these people who are learning from me. Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus said that all these people were family, right? Now, I think it's interesting. I hadn't really thought of this before until this series. He did not say, all these people are my wives and my husbands, and wives and husbands to one another, right? That might imply something he didn't mean to imply. (laughs) Some cults have done that, right? Okay. Jesus said, these are my mother and brothers and sisters. He put them together in these permanent relationships, in these committed relationships, in these authentic, mutually supporting, prayerful, practical, loving relationships together with one another. And this wasn't just some idea that randomly happened into the mind of Jesus one day and then he forgot about it later. Jesus was still doing this. He was still teaching this as he was dying, literally as he was dying on the cross. Jesus was up there and he looked down from the cross and saw his mother standing there, right? Imagine the horrible thing that would be, right? His mother is there and he looks from the cross and sees also one of his closest followers. And as he's dying on the cross, he says to her, woman, here is your son. Now, that would sound disrespectful right now, woman, right? But this is just first century address. It's okay, woman, here's your son. And then he says to this follower of his, this is your mother, right? As he's dying, Jesus made them family. He put them together. And the next verse says that from that that time on, the disciple took her into his home, into his household, into his family. And I, I can tell you, I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt, I don't think it's up for argument, that that wise and faithful woman added stability to the stool of that family, Right? And I believe they added stability and love and joy and life to her stool also. Jesus put them together and made them family. A couple months later, the early Christian community, the first followers of Jesus, were figuring out how to live like that. They were trying to put this into practice because when Jesus said these things, they believed him. They believed this was true and they began to live like it. Could you imagine if we believed that this was true and we would live like it? There comes a little, a little crisis a couple months later. The early Christian community is multiplying. More people are learning to receive the good news of Jesus. They're learning to follow Jesus with their lives, and many of them are widows. And, they, and within the Christian community, they were taking care of the widows. Widows are vulnerable in any society, but especially so in the first century. No means of providing for themselves whatsoever. And so the Christian community was sharing food with the widows in their community on a regular basis. But there comes a little bit of a crisis, and some of them are getting overlooked for reasons that are too complicated to go into right now. But this is a passage that our, our growth groups are going to read in the growth group study guides in your worship and today. And this, this is a summary of the problem, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, that's kind of the Jews from other places, Greek Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, the ones from the land of Israel, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You're forgetting about them. We need to fix that. So the leaders of the Christian community, they get together. They pray about this. They talk about this. They try to figure out how to solve the problem. Here's the solution that was not on the table for them. The solution that was not a possibility was 
eh, forget the widows. They're not our problem. Aren't they somebody else's problem? This is what we do. We're, we're just going to preach the word and proclaim the word, and whatever anybody else needs to do, they can do. The apostles said, we have to preach the word. That's what we have to do. Now, how are we also going to solve this problem? Because these are our mothers, right? We took them into our home from that day forward. These are our mothers and sisters. We're going to care for them. Now, think about this for a second, what happened. What they decided to do was appoint a committee. <laughs> uh, how about a team? They appointed a team of seven people who came to be called deacons, all right? And these deacons, there's seven men. One of them was named Stephen. I always liked him a lot. Seven men who were appointed to be in charge of the distribution of food for all the widows, right? Now, let me ask you to think concretely for a second about what would have happened as these guys took responsibility for that. I think the summary is that the widows both received and gave something. And think about this concretely for a minute. Do you think in the case of these seven men in the first century who were appointed to look over the distribution of food to the widows, do you think that their wives, highly likely these seven guys were married first century Jewish adults, do, do you think their wives were involved ever in the preparation of the distribution of food? I'm going to go with yeah. I'm going on a limb. I think they were, okay? And do you think it's possible that their wives ever went along on the delivery of the food to the widows' homes? I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but I'm thinking that it's just highly likely, practically speaking, that they would have been involved. And let's imagine that Mr. and Mrs. Deacon show up at the door of Ms. Widow, okay, over here, and they bring the food. Do you think they ever talked? Did they have any conversation? Or did they put the crock pot down and ring the doorbell and run, right? They probably went into the house and they probably talked. Maybe they prayed together. Maybe they talked about Jesus. Maybe they talked about what's happening in their lives. The widows received material support that was necessary and company in, the time, in a time of being alone. I bet they had tons of wisdom to share. But they had lots of life experience to share, maybe with these younger wives, maybe with the couple together. Do you think it's possible that these widows, unlike the maybe young parents raising children, might have had a couple more hours a week on their hands, maybe a little more time on their hands, maybe had a, a powerful prayer ministry in the community. They could have prayed together. I mean, I just start to imagine the community that was being formed over these meals, right? And I imagine a stool with like hundreds of legs fanning out as all these meals were delivered and all these prayers are being prayed and all these relationships are being built. And in that community, every, and I mean these words intentionally, every couple of legs, every pair of legs on the stool stronger because of all the other ones together, every single leg on the stool stronger because of all the ones that are together. And so it's like the stool with like a hundred legs or more and it can bear so much weight and it could just hardly ever be knocked over together. And it makes me think about the power of Christian community, the power of our church as a church community. It makes me think about our growth groups because a lot of, some of our growth groups are real like specific life stage, but a lot of them, most of them, also have some spectrum of relationship statuses and some spectrum of generations or seasons or stages of life. And it's a beautiful thing either way. There's advantages both ways. It's a beautiful thing to be put together in this, in this stool together, right? You're not alone. You're not meant to be alone. I want to share with you one more story from the Bible. And I share this with you because since I began thinking about this week a while ago, I have not been able to stop thinking about this story, and I'll try to explain why. Some of you may have heard of the story of David and Bathsheba before. David uh, was a king of Israel a thousand years before Jesus, and it's a story of a terrible sin that David especially created involving adultery and murder. It's a terrible story. It's a story of how God took a terrible sin and in his incredible mercy was able to take a ton of brokenness and pain and fold it back into his story again and create forgiveness and restoration where you, 
where you never would have seen it be impossible. And partly one thing this story means, I think, I, I want to acknowledge as we're talking about our relationships that we're, we're exposing raw nerves, we're, we're bringing up memories and experiences of a lot of failures and a lot of regrets. And I want to remind you that there is, there is no place you have gone, there is no sin you've committed, there's no sin been committed against you, no tragedy that's happened to you that has put you beyond where the mercy of God can reach you. There's no place that there's, some of you are experiencing shame and pain, and I want you to know that the mercy and the healing power of God is so great, there is no bridge too far. There is no bridge too far. And then in the midst of all this brokenness, David has a, a friend, a man of God, who serves as a spokesperson of God into his life. His name is Nathan. And Nathan comes to David, and he has the privilege, he has the trust, the position, the relationship to speak truth to David. He tells David a little story. And he basically holds up a mirror in front of David, and he's asking him this, do you see what you have done? Do, do you understand what you have done here? And David has to weep, and he breaks down, and he has to turn and repent, and there are sad consequences for what he did, and, and yet also there is some healing and restoration. And, and this is kind of what I'm thinking when I think about all the legs on the stool that we need to be and to have for one another. We all need people who are in a place where they can tell the truth to us. Every human being needs people who can speak the truth to them. Do you have people like that in your life? People who have the trust and the position and the relationship to speak truth to you? Who, who can ask you the hard questions? Who can say to you about a relationship in your life, how's that going? Is, it, is this okay? Because on the outside, I kind of wonder about this. Are you doing okay there? Maybe you can say to married people, are you investing enough time in your spouse? Are you, if you have kids, are you investing enough time in your kids? Who can say to you, how's it really going? And then after the answer, go, and just now were you lying to me? Tell me, tell me the truth. And not only do we need that, but, but friends, we need to be that for people too. It's not always the case, but often enough, if, if a person has that relationship with you, often enough that relationship goes both ways. And as they are able to speak truth to you, you can also speak truth to them. We need this. We need to be a stool. We don't want to live life alone. All right, listen. Married people. Too many of us are living like this, right? We're living with the stool on two legs. We're wobbly and we're shaky. And in the best of times, it's not that great a situation. And sometimes something will happen. Eventually something will happen in your life that will come in sideways. And the stool goes down, right? Don't don't live like this, okay? We don't have to do this. That's a cultural lie that we believe and we practice it. But the truth is, you are not alone, okay? You don't have to live like this. Instead, take advantage of life the way that God meant it to be lived. And it can be uncomfortable to get over the barrier. It can be awkward. It feels like it's something different than we've learned with most of our lives because we've learned a lie. And it's okay to believe the truth instead, all right? Do this for the health of your own relationships and because you've learned something about Christian community. Because you know that we all need each other as much as you need anybody else. Single people, single people. It was not God's plan to make you feel alone. It is not God's plan to abandon you. The way of Jesus is to include you and not to exclude you. And I know, not from personal experience, but because I've had to listen to the testimony of my friends, I know that church can sometimes feel like it's a community made for married people. And I didn't even understand that. I didn't even believe that for a while, but I know it feels that way. And if you have felt that way, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's not supposed to be that way. And as a community, I want us, we would want to repent of that and be a community where we're a hundred legs, a thousand legs, whatever, 
all together, strengthening and holding each other up. And, and I want to encourage you and ask you to stay in relationship, not to retreat from God-building community among us, not, not to pull back. And, and when you do that, when you stubbornly stay in the lives of, of your friends, even when they're busy, maybe it's married people, maybe they're all consumed with their marriage or consumed with their children or something like that, and, and you stay in relationship with them, it's not because you're relationally or emotionally unintelligent and can't read the signs. It's not because you're needy. It's because you may see and know something about Christian community that somebody else is missing, right? You know that they need you every bit as much as you need them. There's some practical steps that we can take forward from here. And it may be that as we've been reflecting on the scriptures today, it may be that, that the Spirit of God is putting a lot of different steps or next steps on your heart. Here, here are a few that, are, that we're taking together as a church family. One thing is that there is, a, there is a short-term discussion group happening each week, this week and the next two weeks, right after the 9 o'clock service or at, at the 10.30 service in the fireside room, which is kind of over here off the main commons of our church. And that's a drop-in kind of thing. You don't have to sign up. But you can go there, and that group will be using the growth group study guide that's in our worship bulletin each week. It's an opportunity to read these passages that we're reading together, as well as some others, and to share some conversation, to kind of go a little bit deeper, to dig a little more, to answer some questions. We've got someone there to facilitate that group, and it's a way to, to maybe take one first step of building some relationships and maybe getting a little bit less alone and to learn at the same time. There's also a connection event coming up on January 29th, which is something that we do two or three times a year. It's an opportunity for people who are thinking, you know, I'm ready to, to try another step in building community together in one of First Lutheran's growth groups. And a connection event is designed to help connect people to a 10-week starter growth group. So kind of a, a medium-term commitment. It's not a lifetime contract, but it's saying, you know, I, I want to take a next step and build relationship, build community, to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and be served to grow closer to God and to grow closer to God together. If you're interested in that, that's on January 29th. You can learn more about that in our worship bulletins and announcements. And please stop by the orange wall after the service where they can tell you more about that and you can sign up for that. And also, uh, a little, little bit differently, but as we talk about these things, this is some of the most intimate and vulnerable areas of all of our lives. And as we talk about it, it may be that some raw nerves get exposed. And if you're at a place where you're like, yeah, this is the time where I know I need some more help that I'm not getting, you can come talk to any of our pastors or any of our staff people, and we will love you and not judge you, and we will pray for you. And in preparation for this series, we all equipped one another with some resources that we could also offer to anybody if you are looking for some additional help that we could also maybe point you in the right direction for that. Finally, finally, if you heard nothing else that I said today, I understand that's okay. If you remember nothing else that I said today, all that I've been saying and all the next steps I've been talking about kind of grow from this conviction. There's hope. There's hope for you. Whatever dead end you think you're facing, whatever major wounds or wrecks are behind you, there's hope. There's hope and there is healing for you, and I believe that down to my toes because I believe that there is hope and there is healing for anyone and everyone in the power of Jesus Christ. The reason there is hope for you, the reason that you are not alone, is because God has not left you alone. Because God has not left us to ourselves to make this happen by our own power. God has not left you alone. Just, just a little while ago, we celebrated a holiday you might remember. It's called Christmas. When Jesus came to be with us in the flesh. To come right into our brokenness. To come right in the midst of our human community. And even as he was ready to ascend to the Father. To be the Lord over heaven and earth, reigning from heaven. He said, I am still with you always to the very end of the age. You are never alone. And I imagine... 
I dare to imagine what that could be like, what, that would, what it would feel like when we as a community of people believe that. When we believe and live and receive the truth that God is in the business of creating from us, believe it or not, that God is in the business of creating a community from us that believes and lives this as if it were true. And when that happens, there is nothing that can't happen. When that happens, there are not relationships that can't be healed. There are not marriages that can't be healed. There are not people who have to be left alone and abandoned. God can heal all that. And not only would we be a community of uncountable legs, of innumerable legs, of strength and joy and life, a community of real grace together, but we would also be a community of witness. It It would be a healing to our lives, and it would be a testimony to the world of the hope of God when they believe there is none, that there is no hope, that we would be a place of healing and hope for the world. These things can happen in us. They can happen in our relationships, in our community, in our world by the power of God, and I pray for that to happen. I want to pray together for it right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the father of this whole family. You have brought us together. You don't mean for us to be alone, no matter whatever our relationship status is. You have not left us alone, and you've put us together, and we need you, and we need you together. And God, I pray that you would work by the power of your spirit, that you would work your powerful healing in our lives, in our marriages, in our singleness, in all of our different relationship, all of our complicated relationship statuses. God, I pray for your healing. I pray that you would, Jesus, that you would come to us as you did to your first disciples long ago, and that when you say, follow me, as you do to each one of us, that you would give us the faith to walk in your direction, to take the step of following you that you invite us to. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.